you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m., at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. I want to read you part of an essay from our own Georgia Stamper uh, in her book, Butter in the Morning. It was one mile short of being a river, folks said when I was a child, and I believed them. Eagle Creek was our Nile, sustaining our livelihood, nurturing our culture. Its winding path had carved out our place on earth a million years before the mighty Ohio was born, mapping where the hearts of my people would rest. Even the edge of the sky stopped at a wall of tall, bony sycamore trees that grew along its banks. On the side of the hill lay my grand Hudson's fine bottom land, the home place where he and my parents and I lived together. On the other side lay 300 more acres, his too, but hillier, though still good enough tobacco land. We called that the farm across the creek. Down the hill from our house, a dip and then a sharp turn beyond our view, an ancient covered bridge crossed Eagle Creek. Though the old bridge vanished in a dramatic nighttime fire when I was nine, replaced in time by a concrete span that stands today, I see my earliest memories filtered in the dim light of the tunnel. I hear Grand Hudson's voice under the muffled song of the tires, rolling over wooden treads worn slick and smooth with time. Crossing Eagle led to the rest of my known world. The Natalie-covered bridge was its portal. We had to cross Eagle Creek by way of the bridge to pick up a needed item at Tommy Reed's small Natalie store, a loaf of bread, a pound of coffee, or a cold cold Coca-Cola. We had to cross Eagle at the Natalie Bridge to reach the village of New Columbus, perched two hills beyond, where I learned Bible stories at the Methodist Church and how to read at the schoolhouse. From there, we would wind our way another five or six miles to the little town of Corinth, to its bank and the post office, the Greyhound bus station and the closest movie theater. But the road out also led us back home, across Eagle Creek again into bed. Eagle could flood wild and wide in the early spring, and it frightened me then, its waters reaching places it should not be, like our tobacco fields or the flowered linoleum floor of Cousin Bertie True's living room. Then I'd overhear my grandfather retell the old story of his grandfather, who was dumped into Eagle Creek after he was murdered by robbers in the dead of winter. His body didn't surface until Eagle pushed out of its banks, flooding in the spring. Mostly, though, Eagle Creek was a benevolent presence in our lives. Even in the driest month, it provided enough water for our cattle and to irrigate the crops. Over time, it had made our bottom land rich and fertile. We swam in the creek, too and fished and paddled. I don't know about you, but uh, Owen County, Kentucky is not anywhere I've ever considered going on a long weekend trip. (laughs) Eagle Creek that winds by Natley and Corinth are not uh, special to me. Um, But once I realized how special they are to Georgia, um, it, it became special to me. It became a place that as I read the rest of her book, I can see 
uh, her in. I don't know what they look like. I didn't do Google image searches for this bridge or anything, but I in my mind can picture George's family and where they would be. Stories later of her having to rush and find a neighbor in the midst of a family crisis because uh, you couldn't get over the bridge, of, of trips taking too long because it was dangerous, of, of delighting in this place that was her family's. Um, this location is like another character in George's story. And we, we do this in good literature. We, we find that location tells us uh, something about story. Um, it's where uh, movies... Uh, can just show us, our books have to tell us, right? That's why mama always made us read the books, one of the many reasons mom made us read the books before we watch the movies. Uh, so th- those of you who read every book before it becomes a movie, you-, you know what it's like to imagine. Some of you read the Harry Potter books before the movies came out, and for you, you got to dream up Hogwarts. I started with the movies, and so I had that picture in my head, and it, it kind of shaped my reading of the text with without some of the delight that others had. And when I read stories of uh, the Dust Belt, the breadbasket of America, uh, I can think in terms of uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder's travels or uh, the Grapes of Wrath and the, the moments there. Location becomes a person. It becomes a, a key player in the telling of stories. Louis Grizzard, one of my favorite authors growing up, uh, just wrote about life in Moreland, Georgia. And that became a special place where, where I could read and know his place and where mom would read them and tell her his place. And, and for us, that was our special way of imagining his life. When people talk about uh, Roan Mountain State Park in Tennessee, it means something to me, and I'm guessing it means nothing to most of you, correct? Okay. Nobody uh, remembers eating your first ever over-medium egg in Roan Mountain State Park restaurant, do you? You don't remember seeing your first ever chipmunk there, do you? I I was right. We have recently found the video. It was a chipmunk, not a squirrel, that my sister was demanding was a squirrel. It was a chipmunk. You never held your first giant 20-pound video camera at Roan Mountain State Park, did you? You never watched your father come off uh, like 15 days on the Appalachian Trail in Roan Mountain State Park. And so if I was going to tell you stories about that place, I'd have to invite you into that. Places become characters in our stories. The same holds true for our scriptures. These places that are not our places unless you happen to have been fortunate enough to go on a trip that even then uh, is not like having been there and lived there. But for most of us, we've never seen uh, in person the, the walls of the temple. For most of us, we've not uh, got our toes wet in the Jordan. For many of us, we've never gone out on a boat in the Sea of Galilee. But these are all uh, stories that are, uh, are places that have become part of the story. And, and none may be more important than Jerusalem. Jerusalem becomes the capital of Israel when David unites the kingdom together uh, after a while of having been king. He moves uh, the capital from Bethel to Jerusalem, and it becomes the very seat of God's presence. He builds his palace. We get the Ark of the Covenant comes back in in 2 Samuel 6, uh, 22. He's dancing crazy. He's ready to build a permanent temple for God. Samuel or Solomon ultimately does this, and it, it really anchors 
Jerusalem as the heart of, uh, of God's heartbeat, the beat of God's heart. Jerusalem, sometimes called Daughter Zion. So often our Psalms talk about the, the good and the bad in the midst of Jerusalem, of, of uh, what it looks like in Zion now. The prophets critique the people of Israel who are uh, trampling on each other in Jerusalem. The prophets critique what has happened at the temple where we're worshiping other gods. They, they paint pictures literally of graffitied walls worshiping Asherah and Baal. Jerusalem becomes its own uh, living, breathing representation of God's love and humanity's mistakes. These same important places become important in the New Testament. Uh, our gospel authors organize their text in different ways. John's gospel is primarily ordered in uh, two parts, public ministry, private ministry, and then it's organized around the I am sayings. I am the bread of life, I am the this, I am the that. Matthew's gospel is organized around a series of sermons. Mark's gospel is literally just organized by how fast he can tell the story. It's like every time you see the word immediately, you know we're moving the story on along. But Luke says place matters. And so Luke, who uh, has this public benefactor who's going to help him write the orderly account of all the things of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth organizes his collected uh, anthology, his his uh, Luke-Acts two-book combo around place. For Luke's gospel, Jesus starts in Jerusalem, and then uh, we see him go up to Galilee, and the rest of the story is God coming back to Jerusalem. Jesus going step by step by step, uh, people by people by people from Galilee to Jerusalem. And then uh, we flip to the book of Acts, and its whole thrust is we're going to go from Jerusalem to the world. And so the Spirit is going to fall upon the disciples and upon the church, and and it'll be birthed to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. And we see this in in the epistles and the letters. We see this in the story of the early church, that the movement is out from there. But Jerusalem is still the center. Jesus' brother James becomes the kind of pillar of the church. We we all thought it was going to be Peter, but he's out doing some traveling ministry. James is the very uh, kind of seat of power in Jerusalem. And and so much of uh, the importance of Jerusalem uh, consumes Paul's letters that we miss if we don't pay attention. Most of Paul's ministry, the people of Jerusalem are starving. There is a famine and a struggle. And so in almost all of his letters, you hear him talk about, well, uh, notice how the Macedonians gave What he's talking about is a collection for for food offering for Jerusalem to go and make sure that the people there aren't dying even as uh, the church is growing to the ends of the earth. Place matters even in our story. Jerusalem can be uh, shorthand for the the place of Jerusalem, for for this city. It can be uh, shorthand for, um, for the temple, and it can also be shorthand for the very nation of Israel, for God's chosen people in this moment in time. today's gospel lesson, we find Jesus meandering the path from Galilee to Jerusalem, from his hometown uh, to the center of God's presence with humanity. He's on the way, and uh, these Pharisees come to him and warn him, Herod wants to kill you. First of all, uh, we always make Pharisees out to be the bad guy. There's at least some Pharisees that like Jesus. We know Nicodemus likes him. We know Joseph of Arimathea like him. And then these unnamed Pharisees come and say, get away, Herod's going to kill you. And 
Jesus says, I'm, I'm healing, I'm teaching, I'm calling people. We're doing this thing and, we, and we're going to keep going. And he uses this figurative language of in three days. And of course, we have seen the end of the story. We know that there are days of travel, but there's also the three days. And then he turns into this prophetic word uh, that's built on some tradition we don't know. I have to go to Jerusalem because that's where the prophets die. Lots of bad stuff happens to the, pro- the prophets in our canon. We see uh, lots of, of uh, uncomfortable moments and things that they're asked to do. We see um, them weep and wail, but we, we really don't see a whole lot of them being killed. But somehow in this tradition that Jesus has picked up, uh, that Jerusalem or Israel or the temple this place, these people that eat prophets alive. And this is my role. I am going to go and face this because like a mother hen has protected her brood, I have tried and you have rejected me. This, this picture has, uh, has fascinated me this week of... Uh, a hen protecting its little chicks. And you can find fun Instagram videos of like little chicks popping out from under its wings. So she like slaps them back. And, 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 and what I've been captivated by this week is, is this play on words. We have Jesus who's offered to be the very mother's arms over, over Jerusalem versus Herod who is the fox. How it took me this long to catch that fox are things that eat chickens, Right? They get in chicken coops and they eat eggs and they eat hens and they eat roosters. And we have this great picture of a hen who is ready to protect everybody who will face off against a fox and the little chicks reject it. For the pictures of Jesus as mighty God, counselor, prince of peace, uh, God amongst us, king of kings, lord of lords, all these things, right? Uh, Mother hen is not frequently our primary image, but it is fascinating to me because a mother hen has very few actual like, defensive things, right? All she can do is cover up her brood and attempt to protect them. Can't force them and can't often stop the fox. But it's this instinct to protect and, and to care for. And this is Jesus' metaphor for uh, what he has wanted to do and for what they have done. What does it mean for us, this story of Jesus? You know, often uh, when, when I was in seminary for preaching classes, we had to have an application. Uh, you had to have like, so go and do X, Y, or Z, right? This is uh, what good Bible study or good preaching should produce. And I've become more and more convinced that often we should just be formed by the text and we're not sent out with our checklist of things to do in order to earn our way to heaven. But I do want you to pause for a minute and think about where you would put yourself in this story. Who are you as you read this? As you picture this wandering land from Galilee to Jerusalem, this teacher and prophet, this person that you've been with already at this point for years. Who are you? You're probably all a lot holier than I am. I often think I'm Jesus here. I need to be the hen 
that protects, right? I need to tell the church that this is what we need to do and this is how we need to go into the world and do these things. But I think the problem and the convicting thing for me this week is we're actually little baby chicks who are helpless. And God, for all of God's power and might, for all of God's character, all of God's power, that literally he can hold the the whole of created order in his hand, uh, seeks to love and to care for us. To put his wings around you, and you, and you, and you. To, to, to literally be a place of refuge as the foxes of our world draw near. I am more and more convinced that our job is not to go and be the hen. Our first job is to receive the protection of the one who would protect us. To accept the love of the one who loves us. To, uh, to delight and to trust that Uh, This same God who offered themselves up uh, for us will offer us his spirit today. That he will uh, even uh, protect us uh, in ways we can't imagine. And yet at the same time, we know that that protection doesn't look the way that we would often want it to look. We live in the same gap between Jerusalem and New Jerusalem. The, the last two pages of my Bible have fallen out. I need to find them, or I have another copy of this Bible. This is like my favorite Bible in the whole world. I've preached every sermon I've ever preached holding this Bible. Uh, but it's missing the last two chapters of Revelation, which is what I would like to flip open right now and talk about New Jerusalem to you. Because it, it is place that matters. This, uh, this place that calls us back uh, to the, the very physical locus of God's presence in our world, along with this place that calls us back to the garden and the original desire that God would dwell with us and we would dwell with God. Eventually, heaven will come to earth and we will experience the fullness of God's protection. We will understand what it means for there to be no more pain and suffering, no more tears and no more sorrow, to, to literally dwell in the presence of God. Those days are not here yet. We stand in the gap between Jerusalem and New Jerusalem. Between between good and between danger. We stand in a place where we can uh, rebel against God's love or we can trust God will protect us as a mother hen protects her children. May we be a people who go out and bear witness to what it looks like to be uh, so wholly committed to God that we trust God unconditionally. That we uh, give ourselves over to the, the love of God and others in ways that, uh, that set our own agendas aside. We're not Jesus. Uh, we are little hens, or little chickens. We aren't. Uh, the one doing the garden. Gar- Man, I'm Southern sometimes. The garden, the guarding, uh, we are the ones who need to be guarded. Friends, may we receive God's love that is freely given. May we shout with joy. And may we call upon the name of the Lord. Amen. Amen.